Amen. Good evening. Um, this is the start of the fall series. And so if you're here with us for the first time, welcome. We're going to be jumping into the book of James. We are uh, we're just a little bit behind in the issue of uh, heaven and hell. And so we're going to do a little carryover tonight. So I hope that's okay with you. Uh, if, you're, if you haven't been with us for the summer series, we've been talking about heaven and hell for the past four weeks. And we just couldn't squeeze it in in four weeks. And so we're going to bleed over just a little bit tonight into heaven uh, and where heaven is and whatnot. And then we'll jump right into the book of James, if that's okay with you. Uh, if you are here for the first time and, and this is your uh, introduction, introduction to the fall series, the book of James, uh, welcome. Um, glad you're here. Uh, we are glad, glad you can hang out with us for a few minutes and, uh, and maybe even for a few weeks for that matter. Um, if, you're, if you're new to the mine... Uh, we do kind of a verse-by-verse Bible study. We're doing a topical series on heaven and hell. But then we'll be doing the book of James, just kind of verse-by-verse. We've got a couple of microphones in the side here. And so if you have a question or a comment or thought and you want to just shout one out, please just raise your hand and we'll get to you. And we, we really make it almost Socratic in, in our teaching method because we all want to discover the same truths. And, you know, there's only a couple of mics, but we feel like, gosh, let's just... Let's all have a big discussion, and maybe we'll all learn together. And so that's kind of the methodology here. Uh, my name is Greg Tonkinson. I'm part-time staff here. I teach over at Valley Christian. That's my day job, and then I come over here and, and teach on Tuesday nights, and I absolutely love it. I uh, live over in Southeast Gilbert. I've got three kiddos, um, and they are enjoying uh, life with me. And so, in fact, before I forget, um, I've, there's a Ford Expedition with your lights on. Ford Expedition, lights on. Enough said. Um, I always, I'm honest, guys, when I come here, one of the things I get nervous about is seeing my name flash on that red thing up there. I just, I, whenever it flashes, I'm like, okay, it wasn't me. I just, I, what do you do? You get up and leave and just, you know, and so anyway, if you own a Ford Expedition, sneak out sometime, your lights are on. Um, I was um, going to bed the other night and putting the kiddos to bed. I have a six, eight, and, and 12-year-old. Bailey's my eight-year-old. And Bailey, um, actually, I'd put him to bed. I was going to bed myself. Malia comes in. She's my little six-year-old, love of my life. And she comes in and she, she says, Daddy, I, you know, Bailey's crying. And so I was like, ah, oh, you know, so, uh, and I just settled into something, a book or TV or something. It got up and, and, uh, and he kind of come in and, and they sleep in the same room. And he's, so she could hear him. He's whimpering and my kids, uh, so if you're here for the first time, my wife passed away a couple years ago, two and a half years ago, and, and you know, for me and the kids, it's just been, it's been our life for the past couple years, and so it, having them cry periodically isn't new. Um, it's been a little while since I've heard one of them do that, and so, you know, we're revisiting issues, but he says to me, he says, um, he says, I miss mommy a whole lot, and I said, yeah, me too, Bay. And, and, and he said, um, he said, dad, how, how many people do you think there are in heaven? Um, and I thought, you know, I got to write that down to ask my Tuesday night crowd. How many people are there? In fact, if someone were to ask you that, there's a point to this story, but if someone were to ask you, what is your best guess? Uncountable number? That's not fair. Give me, give me a number. Give me, give me something. 10 million. Do I hear more? Shout it out. How many, how many people do you think are in heaven right now from the beginning of time? And again, I guess you have to assume a lot if you're, you know, I don't know what your belief is in terms of where people go and whatnot, but we've been talking for the past month about when we die, 
I believe scripture says there is an immediacy to our souls that they do go to heaven. What, what you put in there in terms of bodies and whatnot is up to you. But that's what I'm talking about is let's just use the word souls. How many souls do you think right now are in heaven? Ten billion. Seven thousand. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Correct. Right. Exactly. Yes. So, well, so we're taking, you know, however, however much, uh, however many, whatever you start the human race at. I'm just wondering, and obviously none of us have the answer to this, but I, it did cause me to think when Bailey asked me that, gosh, how many people, because guys, I think the reality is simply this. I think a lot of us undersell the population of heaven right now. I think we underestimate how many believers are actually in heaven right now. Yes, the road is narrow. And yes, Christ will say to some, I never knew you. But if you know Christ personally, and I believe that, you know, if you know him, um, he promises that you are his inheritance, that he will not lose any of his inheritance. And so over the years, over the centuries, over the millennium, how many people have died who have known him and and are their souls in heaven? I I wonder, I, I asked my high school students this, and no one has the exact answer, but, you know, their guesses was four, five, six billion ish give or take. Now think about that just for a moment. Even if you lowball it, let's say a billion or two billion. I guessed three billion and they looked at me like I was crazy. So, you know, let's say four or five billion. Have you ever been around a large group of people? I mean, what's the largest group you've been in front of? Sun Devil Stadium maybe or watching the Cardinals play or what is that? 50,000 Sun Devil Stadium holds 75,000. You get in that sea, especially when they leave and you exit and you all go into the parking lot. You feel like you're just being consumed. That's 75,000. Uh, we're talking about three, four, five billion, and history has yet to be written in terms of when Christ will come back. What if Christ doesn't come back for another 2,000 years? And my point, guys, is this. Do you believe in a heaven? And I guess an, by extension, do you believe in a God who can house that many people? Unlike our Jehovah's Witnesses friends, when they picked 144,000 as their number and picked that those are the people that are going to heaven. And when they reached 144,000, they ran out of room by their logic. They had to get Paradise Earth in the mix now. And so that's kind of their afterlife program. As Protestant Christians, we don't, we don't subscribe to that. We believe that however many God chooses or however many believe in him are going to heaven. But if we put heaven at such a small number of 50 or 100 or a couple thousand... I really think we've done a disservice to God. I think if we put heaven at a billion, two billion, seven billion, ten billion, fifteen billion people that have come over the years and, and the years to come that know Jesus Christ, God has to create a dwelling place for them forever. So whether God comes to whether Jesus comes back next week or in a thousand years, we don't know. But we can rest assured this that our location forever will be big enough to house that many people. And that excited me. In that very moment, I was talking to my eight-year-old. I kind of got excited about that. He caused me to say, gosh, do, do, Greg, do you think about God in, that, in those terms? So I said, I don't know, Bea. I'm guessing, you know, three or four billion people. And he said, um, and this was where it got a little sad. He said, um, he said, well, then how will mommy find me? And guys, when we talk about heaven and we talk about... Um, 
the afterlife. I know we get into great discussions here. I, my, you know, I drive home all jacked up and energized, and I love it. I love the, the, I love the different opinions we have. I love the different thoughts. I love that we can speculate and dream. But in that very moment, it became clear to me, what we're talking about here matters. I've got an eight-year-old boy that desperately wants to know in his little eight-year-old mind, if heaven's going to be that big, Dad, how will my mom find me? And so I was able to share with him on that moment. I said, Bay, you know, I, I, believe that, I believe that there is continuity from earth to heaven. I believe that mom knows exactly who you are. And I believe mom knows exactly where you'll be. And I don't think there's going to be a point in time where you're going to be walking down the, the golden streets and bump into mom and not recognize each other. I don't think you have to worry about that. Now, can we sit down as adults maybe and have this great intellectual discussion about the continuity of heaven and how can you prove that for sure? And how, Yes, I guess we can. But if you believe that we are complete strangers in heaven, that seven billion people are just going to be randomly bumping into each other like random molecules and we just don't know each other and we have no identities, um, I'm not sure I want to invite you into my bedroom to tell my eight-year-old that. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be unbiblical, but I think there's enough proof. In fact, this board, I think, helps us understand that there is a great amount of familiarity that we're going to experience in heaven that we do have on earth. And I'm not going to repeat all of the things that we mentioned last week and the weeks beyond, or the weeks previous to that. But I think all of these things ring true of the present heaven and maybe even our eternal heaven, that there will be continuity and learning. We'll have emotions and identities and names. Our age is a big question, but there are different ages we see in Isaiah. We'll have bodies, I believe. We'll have minds in heaven. I don't believe we'll have sex in heaven. Um, I believe that there are some sort of animals, and I think we will work in heaven. And so I think I take all of those things, guys, when I share with my kids on a real kid level, I combine all of those things and I say, okay, here's what I think, guys. And I hope you're doing the same. I hope you're doing that same with each other. Um, I've had conversations with people in the past and they just kind of throw their hands up and say, you know, all I know is that I'm going to heaven. I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know who's going to be there. And I just kind of throw my hands up and I'm thinking, okay, well, that's fine. You're tr- it's true. You're not saying anything untrue. But does the Bible have a little bit more to say than that? I think it does. I think over the past three weeks, we've discovered that. So here's what I want to end on tonight. Maybe if I can give us a little hope tonight. Um, I want to end with saying this, that I believe that when we die, um, we go to paradise or heaven. And again, I don't want to deal with your eschatological views of heaven in terms of pre-mill, post-mill, all-mill, pre-trib, post-trib. We can have fun with that some other time. You can always invite me out to coffee and, and, uh, and I'd be glad to discuss that with you. But for tonight, can we agree that when we die, we're going to a place where God is, where Jesus is, where we'll be, where angels are, and where the word of God is? If we can all agree on that, and I think I have some scripture to help us understand that, then whatever else we want to put heaven in, in terms of location, who will be there, what will look like, etc., we at least know those things. And it's those very things, guys, that the writers of Hebrew and the writers of 1 Peter say, that is why we all need to know one thing, and the hope that lives within us is simply this. We are strangers and aliens on this earth. This is not our home. When our bodies are getting broken and bruised and beat up, it's because they're temporal. They never were meant to last forever when sin entered into them. And so we have this wonderful picture constantly throughout Scripture. 
that we are sojourners. We are on this journey. This is our temporary dwelling place because there waits for us an eternal home where all of these wonderful things will be. So let's talk a few minutes about those wonderful things. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and look at verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 17. Very familiar passage to many of us. By the way, can I just tell you how cool this church is? Um, You know they podcast these things, and um, for for people that can't make it here, people have moved, etc., etc. I got an email today, a few days ago, um, when you make comments um, and you engage with us and, and we engage with each other and we talk to each other and, and uh, how cool is it that your comments go all the way around the world? People are listening all around the world when you have a thought or comment or discussion when you engage in, in the mind uh, because these podcasts are going all around the world. I got, a, I got a, an email, um, uh, I don't know, about four days ago. Uh, someone from Japan emailed me. Uh, and, I, and his wife and children go here. I, I, if you're here, I'd, I'd love to meet you. Um, he's a ball player over in Japan. And just said, hey, I just want you know, I listen to your podcasts. And, and I, you know, I love talking about heaven. And you're really, you know, the podcast, uh, the discussions that you guys are having are really helping me. And it's helping me kind of connect with, you know, back in the States. And, and he said, I'm, I'm, I'm hooked up with a guy over here, uh, I believe from Campus Crusade. And, and he said, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a new Christian, kind of learning my way through this thing. But... And keep going, keep doing what you guys are doing. How cool is that? How many churches do you know of that are meeting on Tuesday nights and the word of God is going out all the way over to Japan where someone is waking up a couple days from now wanting to hear what we, we all have to say and through God. It, it's an amazing thing. So uh, thank you for being here just for that alone that we are reaching the world with the word of God. So Paul says in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians, He says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, if any person is in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, what has come? New things have come. Now, the word there is kainos, and in the Greek it means new, and that's why Paul used it. Now, okay, hang on to that thought there, because when Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. When you read that and you put yourself in that position, if you are a believer in Jesus, we've probably heard this preached to us, that we are new creatures. So when you and I are new creatures in Christ, when you had that thought, whenever, it, whenever your birth in Christ came about, what changed in you? What changed? It, did, did, did you physically change? Did you grow an inch? Your soul and spirit changed. Isn't it interesting that Paul says you are a new creature? The old things have what? Have passed away. Okay, hang on to that thought. Now go to Revelation chapter 21. Okay, he, right, he came into your soul. And in fact, he... he yeah, I don't want to quibble over semantics, but, but you are a new creature in Christ. Did you physically change, though? I mean, maybe a little, I guess. Maybe there was a glow about you. Some people recall trumpets or hearing, you know, the, the 
some kind of a, you know, a, an angel kind of deal when, they're, when they got saved. But for most of us, we didn't change physically. But Paul says the old things have passed away. The old things are done with. Behold, the new has come. Look at Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. John says this, he says, and I saw a what? A new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. The same Greek word is used, I'm just, I'm just letting you know, the same Greek word is used both with Paul and with John, kainos. And he's saying that I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. This particular verse and what we're about to read, I guess, following has created a lot of discussion, a lot of controversy, a lot of issues within the church, because now we have to start taking sides in terms of what do I believe that means? What does it mean that the new heaven and new earth have come and the old heaven and the old earth have passed away? Unless we get into, you know, well, this is what it dogmatically means and I'm confident and I will give you a couple of positions and maybe an assignment tonight is to go home and really read the passage, think about it. And I think as students of God's word, folks, I think we're, we're called to, to take a position, to land on a thought or two. But I guess I want to preface that with we, none of us really, you know, we can't know definitively. Books have been written um, from very, very intelligent people on both sides on two or three opinions on this issue. And so with that said, I, I, we can't deny what is being said. So I, I don't want to make it something it's not. I just want to read the text and try to understand it as best we can. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. Then he says in verse two, I saw a holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down from where? Where did it come out of? It came out of heaven. Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And God himself shall dwell among them. And they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them. And God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall no longer be any death or any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. And then look at verse 5. He says, and he who sits on the throne says, behold, I'm making all things what? New. And he said, write these for these words are faithful and true. Okay, so that's what John sees. And we're left 2000 years later to kind of make sense of it. And I don't want to necessarily get into, you know, all of the physicalities in terms of location and exactness and whatnot. But here are your options. You've got, we have, we at least know this, we've got a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and the old earth have passed away. So the issue is really, what does passed away mean? Does it mean the same thing as what Paul referred to when we become new creatures, the old man has passed away? That I'm a new creature, but I haven't lost all identity. I haven't lost all resemblance of who I am. And yet somehow... The new has come into my life via the Holy Spirit. The old things have passed away. One option is that John is saying that the heavens and earth we know to be true, the atmosphere, the universe, the heaven that we, I mean, the earth that we know to be true, that will pass away. And I think we discussed last week, one of the reasons that that is going to pass away 
is because Romans 8 talks about creation groaning because of the sin that's in creation. We're groaning for something new. And God says in verse 5 of chapter 21, I will make all things new. The question is, is does that mean that earth as we know it will be completely obliterated? Will be completely burned up, will be completely annihilated and it will just go away. And God will make all things new by saying, I will create a brand new earth. And, and, and a brand new heaven, meaning a brand new atmosphere, a brand new heaven and earth. That, that, that this thing we know to be true today will go away and I will make all things new. Possibly. That's one option. You have that option available to you. And on both, you know, whatever option you take, there are challenges on both sides. The challenge there becomes, okay, if that's true, then why was Jesus reigning on earth for a thousand years prior to this, if you take that position? And then also, where does heaven, where does, I'm sorry, the new Jerusalem, the holy city come down to? And if it comes down to a new earth, which if you read the order here, we have a new earth and new heaven created first. And then we have the new Jerusalem coming down to the new earth second. So somehow the new, we can at least agree upon this, that the new earth will house the new Jerusalem. Is that, you hear me on that? Is that, are we okay on that? The question is, is what do we do with the new earth? Who are you going to put on the new earth, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And again, you know, I really do want to get into the book of James. I'm really excited about that. But suffice it to say, you have options at this point. And I'm not, it's, it's really, it's not life or death to me. I take a new earth position, just so you know that, just for whatever it's worth, I take a earth restored position, just like there's a new creature within me, the old things have passed away, but I still am identifiable. I think that the new earth will be much like the old earth without sin, that God is about the business of restoring and redeeming things, including earth. That's my position. And that when the new Jerusalem, the holy city of God, which he inhabits, when he comes down to dwell with his people, it will be on the new earth. Now, the logical jump then, I guess, is to say, what does the new earth then become? What would be another word for the new earth? And this is where people have said that the other, the new word for the new earth would be heaven. That, the new, that if God is going to dwell in the new Jerusalem on the new earth with his people. And it says, I believe, in verse 2. I saw it coming out. I'm sorry, 3. Um, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He shall dwell among them. They shall be his people. And God himself shall be among them. That you have this idea, you have this picture John is giving us of God being with his people forever. Now, again... You need to put God and his people in a place forever. That's your assignment or my assignment. Will we know for sure, uh, you know, this side of heaven? Probably not. But that's what we're called to do is in terms of if I'm going to talk to my kids about heaven, where heaven is, and I got to give them a place where God and his people are going to dwell forever. And I think there's enough here to say that that may be, may be on earth. So the way it looks, I guess, is, I think I have, if, if we can throw up the um, power, okay, good. Uh, nope, sorry. How about here? Okay, so it might look something like this. This is one option. And again, I'm not saying it's the only option, please hear me, but this is the new earth option. 
Okay, and so you can kind of make sense of that and how this all fits together. And we've talked about several items that are up here prior to uh, this week. So I don't want to revisit them necessarily this time. And we can meet afterwards if you'd like to. But you die, you go to the present heaven. Some people call that the intermediate heaven or paradise. There is a resurrection of our bodies. And then those bodies will join Christ either during the millennium or in the eternal new heaven. If you die without Christ, you die, go to a present hell. Your bodies are resurrected in Revelation chapter 20. They are judged and there is the lake of fire for them. And then that place will last forever. Okay. Uh, With that said then, we move on. And and I don't want to move on for the sake of not answering any questions here. But I just, I, I, I want to get to the new city. Okay. So again, it's not an issue of, you know, this is absolutely correct. But what I'm saying is, is somehow we've got to put God and his people together forever. I'm putting them because of verses two through four on the new earth. Yeah. I would like to present another option. Great. And the other option is that... Uh, There is a new heaven and a new earth. The new Jerusalem was prepared in the old heaven. So when the new Jerusalem, uh, the the new heaven gets created, the new Jerusalem is still there. And it comes down out of heaven because there's a new heaven and a new earth. It comes down to earth and out out of heaven. So there still is a heaven and an earth. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, what we find out later on in that chapter, is the one that's in the new Jerusalem, which he told the disciples he was going to build it, and he was building it in heaven. And so that's a different presentation Absolutely. than you have made. Right. Uh, and so the, the new earth, the is new not, Jerusalem, does not become is not the eternal heaven, heaven necessarily. Right. Did you all hear that? Is that clear? Okay. So again, that's another possible presentation and what we have to agree on is wherever we land on this the beauty of it guys is simply this either way we're putting god with his people that's the that's the thing we can't walk away from god and his people and and i'll get to in a second in christ will all be together forever now again you have to think through this billions and billions of people who know Jesus as their Savior will be with their Savior forever and ever and ever. Now, here's what's cool is God in his wisdom and his creativity even, he could have just left it at that. He could have just said, all you need to know is that. But let me just kind of whet your appetite with a little bit of knowledge about this new Jerusalem, about this holy city. Now, again, I need to preface this with some people take this as figurative. That everything in here is symbolic. I don't. So I'm going to read it as it's not symbolic. If that's okay with with you. And if you want to read it as symbolic, great. Okay. Again, I'm probably not going to invite you to talk to my eight-year-old. That's okay. Um, But whether you take it symbolic or or, or literal, listen to the language here. Because it is fairly descriptive. Uh, Drop down to verse 9. John says, and one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. 
and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Now he describes this holy city, her brilliance. And he uses similes here. It was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall. With the twelve gates and the twelve gates and at the twelve gates twelve angels. And names were written on them which are those of the twelve tribes of Israel. Then there were three gates on the east, the north, the south and the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones. And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. Listen to this, he says in verse 16, and the city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with a rod. And depending on the version you have here, it's either going to be measured in stadia or miles. Mine has miles, but 14 to 1500, mine says 1500 miles in its length and width and height. And they're all equal. So you have this picture of John being taken up to this mountain. He's, he's taken up there by an angel. And the angel has this measuring rod. And the angel says, I will show you how big this city that came out of heaven. I will show you how big it is. And he starts measuring it. And when it's all said and done, it's 1,500 or 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. By 1,400 miles. Now, some people have argued this is either a cube or a pyramid. It really, I really don't care. Because all I know is this. It's big. Do you know how big 1,400 miles is? Uh, just for kicks, just for kicks. Um, this, this is 1,400 miles. By 1,400 miles, by 1,400 miles. Now, again, I mean, can you imagine a city that big? It's enormous. I found this on the Internet. And again, uh, you know, you can give me pushback if you want. But I just thought this was cool. Someone actually did this. They said, you know, if you took Mount Everest, how tall do you know how tall Mount Everest is? Anybody climb it lately? If you took Mount Everest, it's five and a half miles tall. If it is a cube, if it is, uh, you know, 14 by 14 by 1400 tall length and, and width, it is 255 high, times higher, the city is, the holy city is 255 times higher than the highest mountain we've got here on earth. This city, guys, is, is and again, figurative or literal, it, it is massive. If you, I take it literal, it's, it's a massive, massive city. Um, someone, someone did this, um, you know, they said, they said, can you imagine a city that, that could rest on the earth that would be that big? It, it might, you know, it might in proportion, it might look if you, even if you put it in the middle East, it might look that big. And remember John says in 21, one, and no longer was there any sea. Could it possibly be again, speculation, but could it possibly be that the reason that the sea might not exist I mean, I mean, how many people do you know right now that live in the sea? So could it be possible, just possible, that, that we could use more land? 
and in, and, in, and in part to house this kind of a building or this kind of a city with, with walls. He says the walls are 216 feet, I believe. Is that right? 216 feet high. Some people take that even as 216 feet thick. And, and the walls, look at this. This is what the, the foundation stones look like. Um, and this is, this is a poor image because these are all racked and marred with sin, these stones. And yet they still, look how colorful that is. Please, please, please don't underestimate the creativity of God. When Bailey asked me the other night about Leanne, you know, and, he's, and he, you know, he asked me about mommy, what I thought about mommy. And I said, Bay, I don't know much, but I know this. Mommy is having her socks knocked off every day in heaven. Because she's witnessing brilliant colors and majestic things like, like the holy city. And she's meeting people that love Jesus to death. And she's meeting people from all kinds of tribes and tongues and nations. And they all have one thing in common, and that is their Savior died for them. So I don't, I don't think we need to worry about mommy. He said, well, isn't mommy sad that she's not with us? And I said, Bay, my, my hope is this. Is that mommy's not looking at it as how much I miss my, my husband and my kids, but rather I can't wait for my husband and my kids to get here. So another 40, 50 years, another 80 years for mommy right now, ah, you know. I think God can keep her quite busy for the next 80 years or so. Even if it's just looking around, gazing at this brilliant, even the brilliant colors. Are you that kind of excited about heaven? He goes on to describe the new Jerusalem after he gets done in measuring it. He says the material of the wall was jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation of the stones were adorned with every kind of precious stone and he names all 12 of them. Verse 21, he says, And the twelve gates were the twelve pearls, and each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the city was a city of pure gold, like transparent glass. It's almost as if John can't even describe it. He's so caught up in its beauty. He says, And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord, the God Almighty, and the Lamb are in its temple. And this is where a person I take that God and the Lamb are both there. And he says, and the city has no need nor sun or moon to shine upon it because the glory of God has illumined it and its lamp is the lamb. Now, some people have thought, thought that to be that heaven will have no moon and, and that may be true. But could it also be that the capital city, the, the holy city of Jerusalem has no need for light or for darkness, I mean, because the glory of God is so brilliant. And the nations shall walk by its light and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. John is saying there that these kings of the earth, even for as, as, as uh, powerful and as mighty as they may be, and that's represented by their glory, they will bring their glory, their reputation, if you will, all of their accomplishments, they will bring that into the holy city because there's only one king that we will worship and that's Jesus Christ. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed, and they shall bring their glory and honor of the nations into it. And then John kind of adds this, you know, and by the way, let's not forget, nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those names who are written in the Lamb's book of life. He gives four more verses just by way of description, so let me end with this. He says, and he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Again, you may choose to take this as symbolism, but what if it wasn't? What if it was a literal river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God? Couldn't that be real? And if it is, how precious and beautiful would that look? Running through this 1,400-mile wide and long city. 
crystal clear water. And in the middle of it, its street, in other words, it was just meandering throughout this city. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit. Many theologians think that it wasn't just one tree of life, but it was several, and they're lining the, the, the river, bearing kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month, and the leaves of, of the tree were the healing of the nations. And you look at that and you think, well, I don't understand that because we're not going to be sick according to 21.4. So why would we need healing of the nations? And could it possibly be that this is one of the ways we stay uh, healthy? It's just we maintain our health by these particular trees. It's possible. And then he says this, and there shall no longer be any curse in the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it. And his bondservants shall serve him. Did you ever think about doing work in heaven? Did you ever think about having responsibilities in heaven? I don't know much, but I know this. If you are a bondservant of Jesus Christ, according to 22.3, you will serve him. Well, what does it mean to serve Christ in heaven? What will we be doing in heaven? I don't know, but we'll be serving him. And I'm a big fan of the fact that I don't think that my identity goes away completely in that I think my talents and gifts and skill sets and passions and desires somewhat carry over into heaven. I I firmly believe Leanne was just a huge, huge lover of children. I can't imagine that God wouldn't have her surrounded by little kids in heaven helping them somehow. I can't imagine if your passion or skill set is, is, you know, along the lines of building or constructing. Why wouldn't God have you do that in heaven? Speculation, yes, but fun to think about, you bet. And then he wraps it up by saying this. And they shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. And no longer shall there be any night. And they shall not have a need of light or lamp or light of the sun. Because the Lord God shall illumine them. And they shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. So I want to leave us in this. this, And we'll we'll jump into James here real quick. But I want to leave us with this. Whatever you think about this. And I hope you have some thoughts about it. Let me just give you a couple of verses, some we already looked at, some we didn't, that just claim this. God is in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. Angels are in heaven. In fact, if you want to talk about the bigness of heaven, the, the, I don't even know if that's a word, but if you want to talk about how heaven, how big heaven is, Revelation chapter 5 says, and they were standing around the throne worshiping God. The angels were, and it says, and there were a lot of them. And then he uses, you know what word he uses Revelation chapter 5? How many angels? Myriads and myriads, right? You've heard that, myriads and myriads. You know how big a myriad is? Anybody take? 10,000 is a myriad. And so John's saying, I saw 10,000 upon 10,000 upon 10,000. And then he says, there were myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands. In other words, he said, I saw this picture of angels, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them worshiping God, worshiping Christ. How big is your heaven? Is it big enough to house hundreds of thousands of angelic beings? Is it big enough? Because they're going to be there, folks. With us. I, I, I'm dead serious when I say one of my favorite things in heaven will be to talk to angels. And then finally us. Uh, does anyone know the last verse of Psalm 23, 6? Of course you do. What is it? Surely goodness and what? 
mercy will follow me and what? All the days of my life and what will happen? Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Guys, we experience so much heartache here on earth. In fact, David starts that psalm with, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Talks about helping him in times of trouble. But he ends that particular psalm with, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. um, Immediate, yes, David can dwell in the house of God, the temple of God. But I think it has a a far-reaching application, which is one day you and I will dwell in God's house. Jesus says, I am in my Father's house right now in John 14. I go to prepare a place for who? For you. It's waiting for us, guys. So this side of heaven, let's do the job God has called us to do. Let's do it as faithful as we possibly can. Let's do it as well as we possibly can. And then we're going to watch one day all of this stuff unfold. And however it unfolds, if you're right, if I'm right, whoever's right, we know this. God's going to be there. Jesus will be there. Angels will be there. We'll be there. Amen? Okay, let me pray for us, and then we're going to make a quick transition to the book of James. Father God, we don't know everything about heaven. And God, I pray that, that no one thinks that I do. But it has been a fun month discussing you and discussing the afterlife and discussing heaven and where it is and what's going to happen and what we'll look like. And God, we have to bow before our King, our Father, and say, we don't know everything. A lot of this may be speculation. A lot of this may be um, dreaming. But it's been fun. For me, Father, it's been so healthy to think about you and get my mind off myself, get my mind off of the earthly things that keep dragging me down. It's been fun to think about Leanne and where she is and what she might be doing. Father, may we never forget how true your words are, that you will dwell with your people. And God, we cannot wait for that. So in the meantime, there's work to be done. God, may we be faithful to that. In Christ's name, amen.